Welcome to the Disruptor Network Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Disruptors Network Podcast. Today, we have an incredible guest who has been seen on Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, Rachel Ray, and also co-hosted on TLC's Freaky Years. She's shared the stage with incredible people like Tony Robbins, Vishen Lakani on Mind Valley, and many more. She is also the author of four New York Times bestsellers, known as a nutrition expert across America, and is also a fitness hall of fame. So please, let's give a warm welcome to JJ Virgin. Ignition. Liftoff. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I am a, a real fan of you and everything that you've been able to accomplish, especially, I was just watching your Mind Valley. Um, talk that you had there. It was a little while ago. I think it was five years ago um, with Vishen Lakani. And um, I, one of the things about me, I'm very health conscious. I've been very health conscious for the past eight years. Um, I'm actually vegan, which I know that you have an interesting perspective on. Um, and a lot of the listeners are very health conscious as well. Um, but I wanted to give you the platform and see, can, can you give us a little bit of um, your story and how you even got into health and nutrition yeah, you know, it's always amazing to me. Like, I don't understand how people aren't health conscious. <laughs> like, what the heck? You know, that saying, if you have your health, you have a thousand dreams, but if you don't, you only have one. Mm-hmm. Like, how back when I first started doing all this, people who were interested in health were like health nuts, right? And I yep. still just I go, okay, I could see like maybe if your hobby was horses or crafting, okay, but health? Come on. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. So I grew up in Berkeley, California, and that's just a very, it's just a hippie, dippy health, kind of health nutty place. Um, My parents, however, were from the Midwest. I literally was raised on Pop-Tarts and those casseroles that they put cream of mushroom soup in and then put yeah. potato chips on top. Like literally that's the stuff I was raised on. And, but I was always very athletic. I wanted to be a theater actress and a dancer. And so I looked at my body like a performance tool, you know, an instrument. Yep. And at the age of 12, as things started to shift, I got very focused on what I needed to do to stay lean, to be able to do what I wanted to do and dance. Yeah. So I started studying nutrition. I went to the library. I checked out books and uh, I started studying and there really wasn't a lot back then. There was a health food store I would go to and I would buy carob because, you know, you didn't buy chocolate. Like there was a lot of misinformation back then that you had to dig through. Mm -hmm. But but it was the start and I was doing better than Pop-Tarts and casserole with chips on top. Right. And uh, it kind of got me launched. I mean, I've never not been interested in health. It just started out much more in like, how do I, how am I able to perform my best physically? And then it was, of course, mentally and how is diet play in what's exercise got to do with it? How about stress, lifestyle, everything. And I just, I I can't think of anything more fascinating. And especially now in the field, because there's so much amazing research out there coming out. No, definitely. And the more and more that we continue to to grow and learn more and visit so many different parts of the world, the more that we learn about our health and understanding what type of foods that we're supposed to eat, you know, exactly. and we have a lot of misinformation out there and what's but what's the actual diet that we're supposed to have. And when, when I was actually becoming a little bit more health conscious, I started to think about my childhood and what was the actual stimulant for me to be able to want these foods, for instance, right? Where you're, you're walking around your elementary school and your middle school and high school and everywhere you see, you have got milk posters, right? Where sending you off this way that you got to go and, and drink milk for the rest of your life and have milk products and these certain things where after a while of you learning more and more about your body, you start to realize that a lot of us are not actually lactose tolerant, for instance, right? To be able to consume these foods and we're tricking our bodies to continue to have it, making ourselves addicted to these foods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when was it that you wanted to have, like, let's just say you wanted to be someone that everybody looked up to when it came to health and, and nutrition? Did you have a moment that switched? You said, you know what, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to this and making sure that I'm someone that everybody can be able to see me as a credible source to be able to teach. So, gosh, um, 
you know, it's just kind of one of those things where you just, as my friend Vivian Glick says, you just take the next right step. Of course, a lot of the steps along the way were not the next right step. They were side steps, back steps, you know, mm -hmm. falling yeah. over. Mm -hmm. um, I just, it's kind of one of those things that the more you learn, you can't keep it a secret. Yeah. Like as you start to learn these things, you want to share this information, especially when there's so many people suffering. I mean, right now, as you say, there's so much information out there. However, we are sicker here in the United States than ever, and it's compounding. So this is not a knowledge uh, shortage here. I mean, you look at it now and it were over 75% obese or overweight. Now, if you are over fat, not overweight, but over fat, you cannot be metabolically healthy. They don't go together because fat's its own hormone system that creates inflammation. So we've got 75% of the population. Now, I don't know if all those people are over fat or just overweight. You can be overweight and not over fat and you're mm -hmm. fine, right? Like some of the football players. But then we also have something like only 12% of the population that, that is deemed to be metabolically healthy at this point. And when you say yeah. metabolically healthy, can you explain that well, a little bit? Well, here's what's interesting about that. Yeah. I, I, I interviewed this, this guy on my podcast and he was talking about this. And I go, well, tell me what is considered to be metabolically healthy. Mm -hmm. And so you listen to this and you tell me. Blood sugar, fasting blood sugar of 90 or below. Uh, waist measurement for a woman of 35 or below. For a man, 40 or below. A blood pressure of 130 uh, uh, less than 130 over 90. And then um, the other was some triglycerides, I think 150 or less. And then there was a HDL to LDL cholesterol, maybe it was HDL cholesterol, at least 40 in a man and 50 in a woman. And as I'm hearing that, I'm thinking, well, that's just, that's just kind of out of the red zone. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of stuff there that's, I wouldn't consider metabolically healthy. You're, you're, you know, you're on the path. As we know, you don't get diabetic overnight. You don't get heart disease overnight. You don't get cancer overnight. You get them over time. And if you start to see things like creeping up blood sugar, creeping up blood pressure, your waist measurement at that point, um, you're heading that way. So I was like, mm, I bet we're even lower in how many people are metabolically healthy. And it's not a shortage of information or a shortage of strategy, let's be honest. And, and what are these things that some people can do in their lives in order to start being a little bit more metabolically healthy and just healthy in general so that they don't end up in a hospital, you know, right. when they're 70, 80 years old and spend the rest of their lives in there instead of being able to have a real life, you know, continuing to be active and do the things that we love to do. I know we want to be light bulbs. <laughs> I remember hearing that early on that you want to, you want to go out like a light bulb, you know, you're like, everything's great. You're shining bright, shining bright, shining bright. And then one day you're like, boof. Yeah. And hopefully that one day is like 100, 110. Mm -hmm. But who wants to live the last part of their life suffering? Mm -hmm. So what can you do about it? This is what's super cool is your body's forgiving. It is incredible. Like it's incredible what we put our bodies through and what they can heal from. Yep. However, the big takeaway here is you didn't get to where you are right now overnight. And therefore, you're not going to heal overnight either. And that's one of the challenges. We try something and go, that didn't work. I gave it three days. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. come on. Mm -hmm. I think the easiest place and, and the most important place to start, well, the, the single most important place to start because nothing happens without this, is to get really clear on your why and your future self. Because if you don't have a clear vision of where you want to be, who you need to be to show up to have the life of your dreams, like none of the rest of this is going to matter, right? When you get really clear that in order to make the impact you want to make in your life and live the life you want to live, that you need to be healthy to do so, have great energy to do so, have amazing focus to do so, right? Be able to perform well, then you take that future self image and all the things wrapped up in it that are so clear that you put on this earth to achieve. And then you go, okay, what do I need to do for my health in order to be able to do that? Because if your health's not dialed in, all those big dreams you have, they're gone, right? Mm -hmm. Then where do you start? And especially where do you start with like all of the information out there, which I would argue, I think is probably making things worse, not better. You know, you go to That's the bookstore, right? Like, yep. you, or no one goes to the bookstore anymore. Let's say you go on Amazon and you say, okay, you know, best diet. <laughs> and you get 
a vegan diet right next to the, you know, carnivore diet. Yeah, keto, paleo, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, and and I always say, you know, I, I have the biggest um health conference out there where we all get together and uh, and of of trusted authorities in health, all the people who are doing the books and the podcasts and everything else. And I always say, you know what, in the room, we have vegans, we have paleos, we have people that will only eat fruit, we have keto. I like mm-hmm. don't care. You know, I am agnostic to all of these things. And the idea that there's one diet that's going to be perfect for everybody is the most ridiculous outlandish. That's just silliness. Makes no sense. But you really do want to figure out what is the best, healthiest diet for you in the situation you're in, with the goals you have, with the genetics you have, where you live, what your lifestyle is like, right? And that's going to vary. Results will vary and you know, Mm -hmm. diets will vary. So I think part of the challenge is it's kind of like that jam experiment mm-hmm. where they had um, tasters, they were trying to sell jam at the grocery store and they thought, if we give you more choice, will you buy more jam or less jam? So I think they had like six jam choices that people were getting to taste and then make a decision to buy, or they had 24. And the people with six decisions bought a lot more jam. The people mm-hmm. with 24 were like, did not know what jam to get. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be part of the situation here is every day it's a different piece of advice. So there's some kind of foundational pieces that no matter what we can, I think if you put a bunch of uh, nutritionists and docs in a room, we actually probably go along with these, you know, it's amazing. You can fight over vegetables nowadays, but who Mm -hmm. knows, maybe we would. And I think the very first thing that we need to do is just improve the quality of what we're eating and drinking. Definitely. I mean, yeah, I had a great nutrition mentor early on who said, you want to add before you take away. Mm-hmm. And you think about it, like when you have little kids, you feed them clean vegetables, you feed them, you know, quality protein, you get them healthy fats and they get full <laughs> and they stop eating. You mm-hmm. know? <laughs> and they stay full for longer too. And they stay full mm-hmm. because they didn't have weird foods that made them crave, that made their blood sugar crash and burn, that made them insulin resistant. So they, they can't use stored fat for fuel. But, you know, so you start with just what if we just started actually picking one thing and we're just going to eat five or more servings of non-starchy vegetables a day. Mm-hmm. Like how amazing. And then we're going to make sure that when we eat, that we eat by the plate. So every time we eat, you get clean protein. Now, you know, vegan paleo, you, you pick the ones that you're going to get, but you need to have good clean protein at each meal for satiety, for um, rebuilding, for getting those amino acids in for detoxification. So clean protein, healthy fats and fiber from lots of non-starchy vegetables, a little bit of slow, low sugar impact carbs. Mm-hmm. You eat like that, you balance your blood sugar. And then you go, you know what I'm going to stop doing? I'll stop eating three to four hours before bed. In fact, what I'll do is I'll eat at night and then I'll go for a walk to lower my blood sugar response to a meal. Easy. Okay. Now that I've got that, now what I'm going to make sure that I'm doing is I'm eating by the plate. So I've got my blood sugar balanced. I'm, I've got good satiety. I should be able to go four to six hours between meals. So I don't need to snack. I'll tell you what, like being in this industry for gosh, nearly 40 years. um, I've seen so many crazy things, but the craziest of all was when fat became demonized. And I remember this gal, Susan powder was like, stop the insanity. And everyone was supposed to eat like 10% of their calories from, from fat. So everybody Mm -hmm. was snacking all day long because they were starving all day long. And then they hijacked their blood sugar, became insulin resistant and couldn't use store fat for fuel. So, you you know, I think we're still, we're seeing a lot of the effects of that now, that bad experiment. But if all you do is start balancing and being able to spread your eating time so that you can eat every four to six hours instead, every, every two to three and grazing, and then you get yourself to just three meals a day, not three meals and three snacks. I remember mm-hmm. looking at one diet plan that killed me because it was like, get up in the morning, eat, then have a mid-morning snack, then lunch, then have a mid-afternoon snack, then dinner, and then have a snack before bed. And I'm like, holy yeah. smokes, <laughs> <laughs> who has time to do anything? Yeah. Then, you know, then you start to go, all right, I'm stopping eating three to four hours before bed. This is so important for you being able to, to you know, make sure that while you're sleeping, you're not wasting your energy on digesting, you're healing, you're restoring, you're raising growth hormone. Mm. And then you wake up in the morning 
and you do a little fasted high intensity interval training workout and you push your breakfast a little bit later, maybe it's more of a brunch. So now all of a sudden you're eating within a, you know, 10 hour window instead of a 12 to 14. Mm-hmm. And then some days you cross train your diet and you do a little intermittent fasting. So some days you push it to about 11 and you eat dinner a little earlier and you have a six to eight hour uh, eating window. And now all of a sudden you're doing this beautiful thing called autophagy or cellular detox, where you're taking out all the cellular waste products. So they don't accumulate and create problems like accelerated aging and cancer and heart disease. So, I mean, those are some simple things that are just shifts and, mm-hmm. you know, and you do one shift and you check and you go, wow, how do I feel? And I think that's the most important thing is we've got to create an eating plan. You know, I see, I see diets as something you use short-term therapeutically to learn what's working or not, and then bring it into your eating plan. And then your eating plan is just like your exercise plan where it's not the same thing every day. You're cross-training, right? Because we know in exercise, if you do the same thing every day, you don't continue to progress and you raise yep. your injury risk. Exactly. Yep. Same in now, diet. I, I, I find it interesting because the thing about diet, right, it's something that it's more of a self-discovery for yourself, you know, where you've been, especially now, you know, you've gone through a lot of um, manipulation, let's say, throughout the time. There's so many different people t- telling you this is what you're supposed to eat. I, I remember listening to one of your, your talks when you were sp- saying snacks, for instance, um, who created the idea that we needed snacks throughout the day, you know, right? And, and where did it come from? Where, who was the one actually putting the marketing dollars behind it? <laughs> You know, was that was that the talk where I I, I was so amazed? I mean, amazed at what these PR firms do. Like they do not research their people mm-hmm. because GNC actually sent me a huge box of soy products, and I like wow. I read a book on on pulling out these seven foods. One of them was soy, mm-hmm. and then Frito Lay sent me another huge box of snack foods, healthy snack foods. And an invitation to be on their snacking council. <laughs> yeah, no, pass. Yeah, you, you must not know. You, they, had, they didn't watch the talks or anything like that. And, and, and since we're on that topic, I think it'll be very, very good to speak on the, the seven foods that people should avoid. I know that soy was one of them, but can you explain a little bit more about the rest of them as well? Yeah, so now here's the important thing. And again, I view diets as short-term therapeutic tools of self-discovery. So you go through a process and as you're doing that, you're checking in, you're using a food journal, you're looking at symptoms, you're using a scale, not as a mean person, but as a biometric tool. I have to say Mm -hmm. that because people have so much shame around scales and I go, you would not have shame like that around a continuous glucose monitor or a blood pressure cuff. All we're looking at is if your weight goes up four pounds overnight, you ate something that your body does not, doesn't work for your body. (laughs) You you didn't gain four pounds, really, you know, you just got inflamed. So I think it is really important that we use these tools so we can really see what's going on. So both the virgin diet and the sugar impact diet are positioned. I had to call them diets because that's what people understand, but they are, Mm -hmm. it's using diet in that way. It's redefining diet to something that you do short-term therapeutically. So this is not pull seven foods out forever. Mm -hmm. It may be, depends on how you feel. So what happened was I was teaching this course called Overcoming Weight Loss Resistance to Doctors. And in that course, there was a test that I was having them use. So I got the opportunity to see a lot of test results Mm because I was working with the lab that was doing it. So I mean, hundreds of test results and then talking to the lab director who sees thousands of them. And it was a food sensitivity test. Now in nutrition, there's been something called an elimination diet that's been used for 40 plus years and very therapeutic diet. And I kept looking at that thing was very complicated and it had things like, you know, citrus and strawberries. And and so I'm looking at this food sensitivity test that really tells how well your gut's working, how it has become more permeable than it should be. Are foods sneaking out into circulation where they shouldn't be? And then your body's launching an immune attack to create immune complexes that then if your body can't get rid of those because you're eating too much of the same stuff all the time, they build up and they create symptoms like gas and bloating and joint pain and headaches and fatigue and food cravings. You tend to crave the very foods that are hurting you, inability to lose weight, skin problems, joint pain. So 
I'm looking at these test results and I'm going, this is so weird. All the stuff on the elimination diet, like, like half the stuff on the elimination diet that makes it so hard to do aren't showing up on this test at all. Mm -hmm. And what I kept seeing on this test and now gluten's a different type of test and gluten itself can make your gut more permeable. So it can actually be one of the causes of food intolerance of where your mm. body starts to react to different foods. Mm -hmm. Gluten can do it. Fructose can do it, but the biggest culprit is stress. So I'm looking, gluten's another type of test. And what I see with gluten is you've got the genetics, you know, something like they say one in 133 people have celiac. I think it's probably higher than that, more like one in a hundred, but then some like 40% of the population is gluten intolerance. I will tell you that I pull gluten, you know, gluten's like one of the things that I yank out. I never see someone, I like every once in a while, 1%, tell me they, they feel fine eating gluten. And I'm talking in the US, like it's totally yeah. different when you leave the country. And it's just rare, but remember, it's not just the gluten. It's not just that we genetically engineered gluten to be more gluteny, to create more insulin resistance and inflammation and, and addiction. It's absolutely, it's like a drug to your brain. Um, but gluten grains also have been sprayed with Roundup, which means we're getting glyphosate. So we don't know if it's the gluten or the glyphosate, mm -hmm. it's both. <laughs> It's both, but anyway, so that's one of the foods, but the foods that I kept seeing on this test were top of the list were eggs and dairy, eggs and dairy, eggs and dairy. And then the second tier were soy corn peanuts. Now, when I first, you know, I used to do this food sensitivity test and then I had to wait three weeks for the test results to come back. And so we do their finger prick. I'd send them out. I'd wait three weeks. I'd come back. I'd see the foods. I'd pull them out within three, four to seven days, they couldn't believe the difference they felt in their symptoms. And, and then all of a sudden this little light bulb went off. I'm like, I got three weeks. I'm waiting for the test results. I should just pull out these things. I keep seeing everyone reacting to. Mm -hmm. And so I started pulling out those six foods, not sugar yet. I started pulling out those six foods. People would come back in three weeks and they'd lost weight They're All their symptoms were gone. They actually didn't want to try the foods again. And we'd go back and look at the test results and figure out which one of those ones could work for them. But what I started to discover was that actually, you know, you can have genetic issues with food intolerance. You can have hormonal issues. You can have immune issues. Those are the ones that I'm really looking at, these delayed food sensitivities. But the re reality is the best test is for you to go through a detox, cool down the inflammation that's happening because of these go through a rapid gut healing process that involves intermittent fasting and eliminating the most common food culprits. And then when you kind of started a new normal where you really know what feeling good feels like, you go back and you go, ah, oh, okay, now one by one, I'm going to retest and I'm going to see how I feel. Because truthfully, I don't really care if a lab test says you do great with, with dairy. If you eat dairy and you get inflamed and your face breaks out and you're flummy. Who cares if the lab exactly. test says you get, like, who cares? Mm -hmm. And there's, there's lactose intolerance, genetic, but there's also casein issues. And casein is just like gluten. These are like morphine-like effects on your brain. They're opiate-like effects on the brain. Mm -hmm. So so what I discovered was with all of these foods, I can argue a case as to why none of these foods are great foods for you. But what I really am looking at is, should you avoid this 100%, keep it out, it hurts you. Can it, if it's snuck in every once in a while, it'd be okay? Or is it something that if you really feel strongly about it, we'll find the best version of it and incorporate it in. So like, let's say someone feels okay on dairy. Well, I'm going to go find, you know, the right cows that are grass fed and the milk is raw. And then we ferment it into like a keeper or a yogurt or a cheese and mm -hmm. do it that way. We're not going to eat some high sugar, drink some high sugar impact milk in a container with chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? from a factory no, we're not. farm, all of you this, know? yeah. <laughs> Although I used to love that growing up with Cocoa Puffs, I will tell yeah. you, <laughs> holy smokes. Uh, so, you know, so that's dairy. Soy is a big challenging one. First of all, soy and corn are two of the most genetically modified crops here in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, soy is just a weird food though, when you look at it, like it's re relatively new to our food supply, like a couple thousand years old, it was built, they used it to replenish the soil remineralize the soil. And what they discovered was that if they highly heavily fermented it, I mean, not eating edamame, right? Like heavily fermented it into some kind of thing like miso, 
that you could digest it because otherwise it's really rich in phytates that can break down minerals and lectins that can damage your gut and cause insulin resistance. The other challenge with soy is that soy, especially like soy might have a place for menopausal women, although I think there's better phytoestrogen compounds out there, but, but it can make little girls develop too quickly. Boys don't develop. It can make mm -hmm. men <laughs> lower their testosterone. Mm -hmm. So you know, they found, they did a study in Hawaii where they found that men that were eating tofu three times a week had smaller brains, you know, mm -hmm. so could potentially have a, a risk for dementia. So that's where soy is right now. I just think there's better options out there like tahini, you know, <laughs> if you want some good phytoestrogen. Um, I think corn's just a sucky. It's first of all, let's be clear. Corn is not a vegetable. It's a grain mm -hmm. and it has a gluten. that's very similar to wheat gluten and it's high sugar impact. And it's got, it's rich in omega-6 fats that are pro-inflammatory. They feed cows and pigs corn to fatten them up. And that raises the arachidonic acid, the inflammatory uh, fats in these animals. Like the grass-fed cow is an entirely different, grass-fed and grass-finished, entirely mm -hmm. different fatty acid profile than the cow that's been fed corn and especially genetically modified corn. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of it. Um, so that's corn, soy, Eggs have been, eggs were kind of a, a uh, challenge for me at first because I always mm -hmm. felt like eggs were like this perfect food. The challenge is we've made them imperfect by mm -hmm. taking, uh, <laughs> taking these chickens and doing horrific things to them, feeding yep. them horrible things and jamming them together. Mm -hmm. And besides what we're feeding them and what we're injecting them with to be able to keep them in close quarters and not get everybody sick, there's also the stress hormone part of it. And it's called hormesis where those stress hormones, you've got stressed out chickens and the stress hormones are now going to be in their eggs mm -hmm. and you're eating those. So you're getting stress hormones. So, you know, we've got to look if we are going to eat eggs. I think it's, you are what you eat eight. Um, you want to make sure that you are getting really good pastured eggs or maybe switching over to duck eggs or turkey eggs or whatever else type of eggs that you can find, but they need to be pastured and they need to be cooked, ideally soft boiled. All right. So eggs, gluten, dairy, corn, soy, and then peanuts. Why am I picking on those? Um, yeah, this one was, a, this was a very interesting one for me that I, I'm, I'm eager to learn a little bit more about. Well, you know, and a lot of people probably can handle peanuts just fine. Um, it does tend to be one that we're, you're, we're creating more allergies with, which is kind of crazy. It is, we've made it a total junk food. If you look at the way they've, they, most of the peanuts like are served, they're like, you know, hydrogenated oil and the lad sugar. I mean, look at, yeah. you know, choosy mothers choose Jif, like do not mm -hmm. choose Jif, choosy mothers. No, choose, if you're gonna, if you find that peanut butter is fine, you want to get the organic, obviously, with nothing added but sea salt. However, peanuts are a legume, not a nut. Now, there are some good monounsaturated fats in them, but the challenge with peanuts is they tend to be one of the moldier crops. So that's the risk with them wow. is the moldy part that we don't test for that accumulates in your body. So that's just one. If you've, if you've got issues with mold, I'd be careful with it. Um, I find most people, I do have some people who react really poorly to peanuts. So we test it again at the, after you've gone through the 21 days washout, 21 days or more, I always say, and you retest one by one, you see how you do with it. Um, you know, quality wise, I would rather see you doing almonds and pistachios and walnuts and pecans, right? I'd rather see you and really rotating those. You don't want to eat the same thing every day. One of the important pieces of nutrition, I think it's overlooked all the time is this idea of eating seasonal, local and organic and rotating what you eat. So anyway, those what are about the cashews. Seven. I so, didn't get cashews in there. Cashews, cashews are interesting. They're kind of like between a, a peanut and a nut because they're a little, little uh, legumey. They're a little different than regular nuts, but they're fine too. Okay. I like using cashews to make cashew cream cheese, um, cashew, oh, yes. you, can do, you can do amazing, cool stuff with cashews. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Now there's one I didn't mention. Uh, and here's, what's interesting. So when I first started doing this, I was really focusing on this food sensitivity test and what foods were showing up. So I was pulling those six foods out. And what I noticed was as I started to look at people's diet journals, cause 
that's one of the most underutilized, most important tools you can do. And I'm a big proponent of actually physically writing it down because your brain's going, oh, look, I really ate this, right? Mm -hmm. Write it down. Um, but as I was going through this, I discovered that, first of all, I had to swap. Now, back then, it was much harder. When I first started this, there weren't a lot of great alternatives. And the things that were out there were truly like junk food variations. You still have to be careful. Quite often, you know, you go into Whole Foods thinking that everything in there is sacred and there is a lot of healthy junk food in there. Mm -hmm. um, lots yep. and lots, posing, exactly. poser, poser health food is, <laughs> but, but what I discovered is people, if you don't tell them that the sugar, you gotta keep the sugar out and you pull those other things out, they just put the sugar in. So now I focus mm -hmm. on swaps. Um, and, and what you need to swap in order to heal your gut, do that accelerated lymphast cycles and heal. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things to do, that's why the seventh food is sugar and artificial sweeteners is gluten can make your gut leaky, which leads to food intolerances. Stress can make your gut leaky, which leads to food intolerances, pain medications. They can make your gut leaky like Advil and SEDS those and yep. fructose can make your gut leaky. Fructose is the most aging sugar. And it's the one that somehow has gotten this hall pass of like, oh, it's healthy. Like agave, agave is the worst thing ever. The only thing worse than agave is artificial sweeteners. Artificial sweeteners are a bad science experiment. They never should have been allowed. There's yeah. nothing good about them. There's not one positive thing that you can say about artificial sweeteners, mm -hmm. unless you're just looking for something that you could put outside on the lawn and the, the bugs wouldn't touch. Yeah, I don't know. You know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. If you've got a, a food that you could put outside and the animals won't touch it, that's not food. Mm -hmm. Like you need competition for your food, right? Like the <laughs> bugs and animals should be all over it. And, and so, what what does that make the agave not a good choice? Agave. Oh my yeah, because I'm I, that's one thing that I do love agave. I don't have it all the time, but like when it's when it's there, probably mm -hmm. will choose it. But very okay, unlikely. Why are you Why are you choosing it? Um. Let's see. I don't. I don't do it all the time. I would say I do it once in a blue if I'm having, let's say, some pancakes or something like okay. that. That I would. But I you're would have choosing somewhere. it because. Uh, the taste, definitely the sweetness. Yeah. So fructose is sweeter than any of the other sugars. Mm -hmm. um, it's also glycates seven times to nine times more than any other sugar. Wow. Which means it's more aging than any other sugar. It also feeds cancer more than other sugars. But what's the real issue with fructose? So the only, and then I'll, then I'll move on to why agave matters. Mm -hmm. The only organ that can metabolize sugar. So you eat sugar and normally it gets into the blood and your body responds to it, except for fructose has to be metabolized by the liver. So it goes down to the liver and the liver then is gonna attempt to turn that fructose into glucose, into glycogen and store it in the liver. However, the liver is not very big. So if there's not enough room in there to store it, Mm -hmm. then it has to be stored as fat. Okay. And what we've seen now is you've got little kids with fatty liver. Like we now have to have this disease called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease because of fructose. Originally starting with high fructose corn syrup. Now you've heard that's bad, right? Yep, 100%, yep. It's bad because of the fructose, but here's what's crazy. It's about 55% fructose. Agave is nearly all fructose. It's like 90% mm. plus. The only thing that's got more fructose than agave is crystalline fructose. Wow. But the reason people love it is it's super sweet, but it's really challenging. It makes your gut more permeable, ages you, and ideally fructose, you know, just think fructose turns to fat. It can, if yeah. you do a big workout, it can block fat burning after that workout. Cause you know, it's not during the workout, you're really burning the fat. If you're really working out correctly and doing intensity, it's post-workout that your body's burning more fat. But if you do fructose, you shut it down. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not talking about some berries. I'm talking about the green drink that you had with the pineapple juice and the apple juice concentrate and the grape juice that you thought was yep. so good for you, but has more sugar than a Coke. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm talking about the, the things sweetened with apple juice concentrate. So they say no sugar added, but the apple mm -hmm. juice concentrates got more fructose than high fructose corn syrup. Mm -hmm. And so you'll see at the health food store, it's one of the things that drives me nuts at the health food store. Cause they'll say, you know, agave as if it's like, you know, a little halo and the angels came out and they sang. definitely like, do. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. it. Like when they're like, do you want honey agave? Do you want these? Agave is the one that's at the top. It's always the one on the throne. Right. You're like, I will be good yeah. and have the agave. 
<laughs> and at restaurants too, they do the exact same thing that they're like, oh, the alternative is agave. You know, you can do that a dollar plus and you can get the agave instead. You can, you can hurt your health for a dollar more. Yeah. So here's what you'd want to do. I mean, the best sweetener. So when I wrote the sugar impact, diet, what happened was I write the virgin diet. Mm-hmm. I don't have a sweet tooth. So, um, and you know, there's a big genetic component with sweet tooth and sweet taste. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I don't have it. And I mean, I'll eat sweet, but I can take it or leave it. Like I'm salt and savory is my jam. Same way. I mean, the same exact dark chocolate is the only thing that I would, that I could bring into some of my meals with the saltiness. Yeah. And so dark chocolate with like sea salt and it's super dark. And Mm -hmm. I use, I do the ones that are sweetened with either allulose, monk fruit, stevia, erythritol. My favorite sweeteners, if you need a sweetener, and Mm -hmm. and this is not like go crazy on these because they can still cause calorie dysregulation, but they're natural, would be allulose, which is a rare sugar that comes from things like dates and, and you're only absorbing a small amount of it and it doesn't raise insulin or monk fruit or stevia, which are, you know, sweet plants. Um, or a little bit of a sugar alcohol. And the one I really like there is erythritol, but I, I'm really leaning now towards allulose. But here's allulose. the thing. Ideally, even if you are one of those people that goes, I have a sweet tooth, I've always had a sweet tooth. We can get that a lot better. And so mm-hmm. I'm always trying to retrain you to appreciate the natural sweetness of things like blueberries, right? Mm-hmm. And then also to like savory and salty. And so after I wrote Virgin Diet and everyone was like, okay, but what do I do about the sugar? And I'm like, you just don't eat it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just don't eat it. And, mm-hmm. and that, that didn't work. Um, and I'm like, all right, so I'm going to throw down this challenge that I can get rid of your sweet tooth in two weeks or less. And I took 900 people who were like, you know, couldn't get through the rest of the virgin diet with the sugar part, everything else they could do. These were people who were pro- proclaimed sugar addicts. I can't quit sugar, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Let's try it. Yep. Uh, and I did a week where I had them identify where sugar was sneaking in. And by the way, it's stupid stuff you'd never think about, like the marinara sauce that has more sugar than, you know, a, a, the same serving size of Oreo cookies or the balsamic vinegar that's just syrup, you know. So there was all these places that was sneaking in, people had no clue. Mm-hmm. So I had them rate that and rate their symptoms of like their belly fat and their energy and their cravings and focus and irritability. And then I took them and I rated foods high, medium, and low sugar impact. And I based it on how much of food would raise your blood sugar and insulin and um, how much fructose it had. Those Mm -hmm. were the no-nos. And then on the other side, how much fiber it had Mm -hmm. and then um, what the nutrient density was. Because the bottom line is like, and this is really looking at at carbs because all carbs turn to sugar except for fiber, right? You just want to you want your body to make sugar slowly from the carbs you eat, not mainline it. That was the big important thing. So I rated everything high, medium, and low sugar impact. The first week I just made people swap out all their high sugar impact for medium sugar impact and eat by that plate that I talked about earlier, the protein, fat, and fiber from non-starchy vegetables and slow, low impact carbs. And yep. then the next week we went to total low sugar impact and I took all fructose out. So one of the interesting things with fructose is the more fructose you eat, and again, one to two servings of fruit a day, fine. Fruit's not a free food, but think of juice like a soda, dried fruit like candy, and you know jams and fruit syrups just like syrups, right? Mm. That's it. That's how I frame them so people go, oh, okay, I'm not going to reach for candy. So that dried papaya is <laughs> just as good. That's not for that. Yep. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but that dried papaya is... I. Holy smokes, is that good? Um, <laughs> that is some yummy stuff. But man, I'm a definitely a dry fruit guy. I love it. Yeah, it's it's candy. Mm-hmm. It's total candy. Um, so during two weeks, I take all the fructose out because the more fructose you eat, your body actually gets better at quickly transporting it straight to the liver and making fat. Mm. This is not something you want to be good at. Like mm-hmm. you want to be really bad at that. You do not want to be a good fat maker. <laughs> You want to be a good fat burner. And my goal was, I knew that if I could transition someone from being a sugar burner where they could had to eat every couple of hours, they were always craving carbs because they couldn't access stored fat for fuel to a fat burner. And then, and then after that, a 
what I call a hybrid. So where you can go four to six hours between meals where you might forget to eat. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, like, did I eat lunch today? Well, a, sh- a fat burner, a sugar burner is never going, did I eat lunch today? Like mm-hmm. ever one mm-hmm. time, right? And so the goal within those two weeks is to make that transition, get the sweet out, start to use savory and sour. Sour can actually get your sweet tooth back. So I love to do a lemon juice. There's a, a product mm. in the store called Suja Lemon Love. That's Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. That is the greatest stuff. I love it. It's fantastic. So, (laughs) you know, using more lemon juice, maybe using some glutamine powder that can take your sweet tooth away. So I've got a bunch of different little hacks that we do some vinegar that can help restore insulin sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the two weeks, what I do is I go back, I have people go back and start putting in some medium sugar impact foods, some high sugar impact foods and seeing how they feel. So we can kind of go, where do you need to be on the spectrum? Like what, what can you get away with in terms of cycling your macros, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I hear after that is that sweet tastes too sweet. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like winner. That's all I wanted to hear is that we could actually retrain your taste buds. It is possible, but you have to give it, it, it takes two weeks, which honestly, when people have had a sweet tooth for their whole life, what's two weeks. Exactly. Um, yeah. Right. Uh-huh. But man, I mean, how can you ever get out of your food prison if you're white knuckling your way through like walking by the the bakery you know (laughs) you just can't you have to get change that relationship and go oh that doesn't taste good anymore and when i eat it man i feel crappy Mm -hmm. so you connect the dots and and it's interesting because it can happen in as little as two weeks you know where a lot of people think that it's something that it's gonna i think that there's a misconception that once they're done with these foods, for instance, that they're going to be always craving it again, no matter what, right? I was just in, in the Midwest right now where um, it's very like, you got to eat your dairy, you got to eat your eggs, you got to eat your meat, you got to do this and this and that. And it's almost like a, it's almost like frowned upon if you like to eat your vegetables and you like to eat your fruits and it's not as manly in a sense, right? For instance, right? And they have all these misconceptions that like, you're going to crave these things anyways, after you're done with it. When it's something as far as it's, it's addiction, you know, a lot of times, especially with the sweets, you know, that for instance, mm-hmm. me, I used to love everything sweet, crunch bars every day. I was a, give me a white crunch bar and a chocolate and a milk chocolate crunch bar. And I was good for the day every time. But then now you could just give me a little bit of anything very sweet. And I go, this is too much for me. You know, just yeah. like, I know that you, you, you speak a lot about um, apple juice or apples in general, right? But apple juice, Oh, I know. I'm out after. I'm surprised I haven't gotten a cease and desist from Mott's. (laughs) Just giving you a call. Like, you got to. I did get a nasty note from Crazen's. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it, it, but it's, uh, it's worth it, you know, especially when people get to understand a little bit more about their own bodies. You know, when I have apple juice, I can never have, I'm very surprised when people have a full bottle because I'm like, just the first sip, you realize that this needs a lot of water for you to be able to consume it because it's just going to be straight sugar all the way down. Yeah. Um, or but, maybe just have an apple. Yeah. And, and it craves you right there. You, you can satisfy your craving easily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the concept of knowing that your body does change, you know, after a while, it does change. And, and it might take three weeks, for instance, right? For, for instance, when I was giving up cheese, right? I haven't had cheese in a long time now. That was the, the craziest addiction I've ever experienced in my life. I never knew that I had that much of a craving for something. And every time I walk past, I, I'm, I'm from New York City. You can probably tell by the accent. Um, New York City has a pizza shop every corner. And I would walk past when I was just transitioning into no more dairy and stuff in my diet. Every time it was like a, you're like hesitating. You're like, this one's just a dollar too, dollar slice here. You're like, ah, let me let me see if I can go in there. But it was a real addiction. But after a while, now I don't. I look at it and I go, I don't really need that. Yeah, you know. It's so cheese, I will tell you, on the Virgin Diet, the number one thing, and what I talk about is, you know, you've got these seven foods, and and because people go, listen, I totally can do this. This sounds great. I'm super excited. Except I can't give up my cheese. So I'll do yeah. six. I will just do six and I'll keep the cheese. Yeah. It's, and I go, keeping the cheese is like you're sitting on seven tacks and your butt hurts. So you think, you know what? I'm going to get up, take six tacks away and I'll just leave one. <laughs> that is it. That is it. And, and 
one of the things about your body, right, is that the more that you start to be more health conscious, the longer you're going to live, but also the better lifestyle that you're going to be able to have while living, you know, where you'll be able to be a little bit more athletic. You'll be able, Mm -hmm. me, I'm an Eagle Scout. So I spend a lot of time in the woods, even now after Boy Scouts is over, where I hike, I walked across Spain, I hike the highest mountains in many places that I go. And one of the things that always keeps me going is knowing that I have a strong body, right? And, and And I remember that you had a mentor that told you, um, it was like, uh, never wish that it was easy. Um, I would make yourself stronger. Right. Yes. Boy, I, I hated it when she said that, <laughs> <laughs> but man, that's been important. She said, she said, it. she goes, don't wish it was easier. And at the time she said, make yourself better. I translated it to make yourself stronger. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, one of the things that I think is in all of us is that you know, when I, I went through a very, very scary time where when the Virgin Diet was coming out, my 16 year old son was hit by a car and literally left for dead in the street. And what we had to do to save his life and bring him out of having a severe traumatic brain injury, he was in a coma for weeks, um, 13 fractures, including a crushed heel that they said he'd never walk. They didn't think he was going to wake up, you know, a torn aorta that was supposed to kill him within 24 hours, the stuff that we had to go through. And, you know, people would say to me, I could never do what you did. And by the way, the Virgin Diet was coming out the same time. I was a financial support for the family and I had to make that thing go. So I'm literally launching a book next to my son who's bedside in a coma, telling him all about it, you know, (laughs) talking to him, you know, when he came out of the coma, he goes, you know, the gray man asked me if I wanted to live or die, but I kept hearing you. So I decided I'd come back. I'm like, I knew you heard me. I knew it. Um, I know crazy, crazy stuff, but you know, people would say I could never have done that. And I go, you know, you have no idea. Like we are never better than when we are challenged. Let's face it. And you have no idea what you're capable of. And I can tell you that whatever your plans are right now in your life, they are nowhere close to as big as you should be thinking. Yep. 100%. That same mentor said to me, and she told me so many things, you know, what's so cool is I actually found the VHS tapes she was a mindset trainer. I found these four tapes when I was moving houses from California to Florida. And then I was like, what do you do with a VHS tape? So then I had to buy, I, I didn't know you could digitize them. So I yeah. actually bought a TV on eBay um, to watch them. But it is amazing all of the things that she taught me. And this was 28 years ago. And they're, you know, they're timeless pieces of advice. But one of the things she said to me was the only limitations are the limitations in your mind. And I will tell you that when she told me that, I thought that is not true. There are of course limitations. And then I'm sitting there that night at that hospital and my, um, the doctor says to me and my son and, and my son's dad says, you know, you gotta let him die. He'll never make it. He'll never survive the surgery. He'll never survive the airlift. He'll nah, 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 never, ever, ever. And, uh, you know, I remember my other son going, sounds like maybe a 0.25% chance he'd make it. And the doctor goes, yeah, that's about right. And I go, yeah, we'll take those odds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. You know? Mm-hmm. And so it's truly a thing. Like I think back and I think, what if we didn't believe in the 0.25%, you know, mm-hmm. like, what if we didn't believe, what if we really saw the limitations instead of the possibilities? So yes. Don't wish it was easier because if it was easier. Everybody is doing it and you mm-hmm. wouldn't place any value on it. And it wouldn't matter when you accomplished it. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and the mindset is the most important part, even when you're changing your diet, when you are facing an incredible situation like that, where you don't know what the conclusion is going to be. But the only thing that you do know is that in some way, some form, you really hope that you're prepared for this situation you know, where your mindset is on right, when you can continue to think positively. Um, and, and those are the things that I think that change a lot of people is that their mind isn't prepared to be able to just, let's just say, change their body if they want to become healthier or to climb that mountain or be able to deal with a situation like that where everything begins here. If you can actually believe that you can change your body, you can be healthier, you can do these things, um, it will be possible. For instance, when I was walking across the Spain, Everybody and their mother told me <laughs> that this is crazy, that you're going to go to another country you don't know. You're going to walk by yourself for over 30 days and not know what's going to happen to you. 
my mother, she, I've been hiking since I was 10 years old and leaving the house. And, and even she was like, you, you know, you don't think this is kind of crazy, you know, that you're going to do this. And like, how do you, how do you expect to eat? How do you expect to do all these different things? And one of the things that I had to tell her is like, at the end of the day, you know, in, in this life, you're going to be challenged with so many different things. I'd rather be in the woods and have the, the biggest form of a challenge where I have to survive. I have to really be able to get to the other side and keep myself sane the whole way. You know, and for me, it was one of the most beautiful experiences ever where I had, you know, very enlightening experiences for myself to be able to continue to grow. And even with my diet, with the way that I thought, my mindset about things, what things were prohibiting me from continuing to move forward. Um, and, and, and so with health, I think it's very, it, 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 everything is in the same path where if you start to think about it, and really start to make a slight change, right? Just swap a couple things and continue to just one inch at a time, you will see that you have a drastic difference. I feel incredible. I just had my test before leaving to Dominican Republic for my vitamins, my minerals, everything within my system, and my body is in top shape. And it and it and when I was, let's just say eight years ago before that, definitely couldn't say that. I was sick all the time. I had runny nose when it was cold, I always got a cold. You know, I had stomach problems. I used to be in the hospital for a lot of days because of my stomach issues. And the minute that I became healthier and continue to live this lifestyle that I've been living, I haven't, I've literally haven't been sick the past eight years, not once, not anything has ever happened, no stomach issues. I don't even get headaches anymore, thank the universe, you know, but it's being able to, that's eight years after, you know, where it was just small changes, but eight years after it has a result. And because of that, I continue to have a, a better life for myself where I don't have any sick days, which makes it a little bit easier for the people around me as well. But and you probably felt, you know, you were feeling better, 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 like all along the way, right? You start yep. to feel a little better and a little better and a little better. And then all of a sudden you look back years later and your former self is almost unrecognizable. 100%, 100% and energy levels, unrecognizable where I remember I would, I would really tap out after a certain, a certain amount of time. And I was a college athlete as well. I played college basketball. And um, even when I'm doing something athletic now, I know that I have way more energy than I had during those years because it was not necessarily, I was stimulating it. You know, I, I saw one of your videos, it was hilarious, but you brought out the Gatorade and you're like, just look at this color. <laughs> <laughs> And you're like, how is this going to be good for you? You know, where you're going to continue to have all these different sugars and all these things. And that was what I was bringing into my body to energize myself. These were probably just stimulants for the moment because it was a lot of sugar in it and stuff, but never compared to what I feel when I drink a lot of water. When mm-hmm. I have some mineral water from Italy that has all these different components within it that also stimulating me and making me feel a little bit more energized, you know? But these are small things that after a while becomes a lifestyle choice and it becomes a little better and better along the way. It's the little hinges that swing the big doors. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Um, but one of my last things that I wanted to mention was um, because the more that our society changes and the more that we change as individuals, we start to realize that our diet changes with it, right? If you are someone that is now work, coming into the workforce, spending nine to five, and you're sitting down most of the day, your lifestyle and your, and your food choice is going to be very different compared to when we were nomadically living, for instance, where it was very important for us to stuff our mouths with a lot of food because we needed to store fat because we didn't know when's the next time that we're actually going to get a meal, you know? And so I wanted to get your, your take on now with the lifestyle that a lot of people are living today, especially post-COVID and pandemic world, right? Where most people are sitting at home and spending a lot of times indoors and working from home, it probably leads them to have, you know, poorer choices when it comes to their food and their actual athletic life, for instance. What do you think that people should do now that they're going to be stuck at home a little bit more than they used to be um, so they can continue to live a healthier lifestyle and make sure that they don't get into a rut? Okay, so there's a couple really important things here. And I think the first thing to remember is that structure creates freedom. Mm. So the reality is when you're at home, you actually have a lot more control, but you also have a lot more opportunity to like fall apart. (laughs) So let's be honest. So so what you've got to do is tightly control that environment 
and set up a structure of success. Now, one of the things that can really help you with that structure is, and if someone asks me, they go, all right, so I've gotten to where I want to be in my health. How do I make sure that I maintain it? The first thing I would say is there's no maintaining it because you're not frozen. The only way to maintain it would be, you know, you'd have to die. Like you don't want to maintain where you're at. You want to constantly be up leveling and your body's changing all the time. So you don't want to maintain, you want to, it should be constant improvement, right? One thing at a time. But the best way to do that, if you want to stay in that process, is think about the quote that Jim Rohn said, remember this quote, that you are the average of the five people you hang out with? Well, we know that they did some really interesting studies about obesity and found that um, obesity was contagious in that if your best friend, even if they lived across the country, tended to be obese, you tended to be obese too. And so what I said was, one of the things you want to do is find some fitter friends. Now that does not mean dump the friends that aren't there, bring them along with you, right? If they want to come, not everyone does, but find some people who are where you want to be and hang out with them for the inspiration and motivation. So that's a big important one is to have that community. And then to look, set your, set your day up for success. First of all, get the enemy out of the house. Don't think to yourself, if you love like, let's say Ben and Jerry's ice cream, that if you are going to put it into the freezer and not touch it, that that's like, that's silly. That's just mean. So I get that out and I establish a really important routine. One thing that I think is super important is to stand up, is to get up in the morning and first thing, get up in the morning, go to the bathroom, come back, meditate. Um, there's plenty of great meditations options out there. I'm a big Dr. Joe Dispenza fan. We get up in mm -hmm. the morning, go to the bathroom, meditate, get on the scale. I use a scale as one of the biometric tools, just like you would use a waist measurement, just like you would use a continuous glucose monitor. It's not a mean friend. It's not body shaming. It's giving you information because if that's starting to shift something like case in point during the pandemic, I started gaining a pound of uh, a pound a day, hadn't changed anything. Gee, Am I a bad person or did something just go sideways? I just got like an autoimmune disease kicked up. I wouldn't have known if I never stepped on the scale. And then I would have blamed myself and all the shaming. No, it was a, it was an issue. Obviously you don't, you know, gain a pound a day. Um, so, and then how are you going to fit in some movement each day, both fitness and movement. So I think you should do some kind of fasted workout a couple mornings a week, like a HIIT training and do some resistance training that doesn't need to be fasted a couple times a week. But I also want people to just be moving more throughout the day because one of the biggest things that shifts your, um, how much you burn throughout the day is how much you move throughout the day. And that's not exercise. It's actually called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And it is just how much you fidget, you stand, you know, standing instead of sitting, walking instead of standing, moving around matters. So it can account to like 15% of your overall metabolic rate throughout the day. So doing more of that stuff and then <clears throat> stocking up your fridge so you have good stuff. Remember, I was on a the Dr. Phil show for two years and I went to a, a woman's house in Texas who was in our weight loss challenge and failing to figure out why. And what I discovered was she'd taken all the food out of her house so she wouldn't be tempted. Mm. Sounds like a great idea until you get hungry and now you're really hungry. And the only thing close by was like this gas station. <laughs> so, I mean, could you imagine if you ate your meals at the gas station, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. you know, stock up, make it easy for yourself to have great alternatives. Like right now we've got artichokes and broccoli and lettuce and carrots and hummus. Like we just have our fridge and our pantry and our freezer stocked. So we're good to go. So I just made some really great fresh green iced tea for the fridge. So get yourself well stocked. So, and so you can do your uh, two to three meals a day, no snacks and have some great water and green tea that you can sip on throughout the day. And then ideally like go do something fun with a friend, go walk with a friend, work out with a friend, get some accountability people around you to help you help you with this. Again, find the people who are where you want to be, hang with them. That's beautiful. And, and do you have any upcoming projects that you're working on right now? Well, I was going to publish a book January, 2023. Then 
we decided to push it out another year. The book industry is crazy right now. It's 10 yeah. months just to get a book printed. So we thought, you know, we'll push that out. I am actually um, redoing all of my courses right now. I'm, I'm doing a seven day swap to drop challenge and mm. then a 21 day um, gut healing cleanse and then a three month um, breakthrough weight loss resistance program. So I'm deep in the midst of creating those right now. I'm super excited about that all based on the virgin diet and sugar impact diet. So just, just started focusing on my YouTube channel. Again, I had big YouTube shame. I must admit it was like a hodgepodge of junk that just had accumulated. It was like, you know, it was like that closet you have in the house that all the stuff ends up in. That was yeah. my YouTube channel. And so we had to hire someone to go, could you clean out my closet? So yeah. they did. So now we're really building that and I'm doing a fun thing that we're going to start in another month on my podcast where we're going to feature stories, success stories of people who've gone through my programs and people who are starting the program to really share what that journey is like so that you'll have your own top takeaways that you can use in your life. So like fun stuff, fun stuff going on. That's beautiful. So they can find it on your YouTube, on your Instagram and, and your website as well as jjvirgin.com. jjvirgin.com, which is getting a refresh too. That's getting made over. All righty. Perfect. So um, make sure that you guys go and check it all out. This was an incredible conversation and, and very eye-opening for me. I, I think I'm going to go throw out my peanut butter as far as once, once I get to that. I'm more concerned about your agave. Your peanut butter is yeah. not what I'm concerned about. <laughs> that too. I definitely make sure I throw that one out as well. But thank you so much for your time. This was a very beautiful and enlightening time. And I think that anybody that listens to to this is going to be eye-opened for sure. And they're going to make a lot of lifestyle changes that are going to benefit. Throw the agave out if you're listening. That's it. That's what I <laughs> Thank <have>. you. Thank <laughs> you so much, JJ. It was a pleasure. Thank you. See you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with JJ Virgin. For more content, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube. Make sure that you follow us on social media and you are listening to us on all streaming platforms. See you guys next time.